What's up, everybody? How are we doing today? We good? Everybody's good. Well, uh, this weekend, uh, my family was able to uh, fly to Minnesota, and we visited our oldest daughter, uh, Lily, that's up there in Minnesota. And I had, like, one of the craziest things happen to me in the airport. Um, so I'm watching this game and, and um, on TV, and, you know, my team was about to, they weren't about to win the game. There was a tie game, like bottom of the ninth. And and I just, I was like, like all like anxiety and everything. Um, but anyway, quick little backstory. <laughs> um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Lily, when she was six years old, she started playing soccer. And the reason why we put her in soccer, because she's a hyperactive kid. So she's always bouncing off the walls, bouncing off the walls, doing all this stuff. And so we're like, what can we do that will just take the energy out of this kid, and so we signed her up for soccer. And so, so the first game, she goes out, and we're like, we don't know what to expect. You know, I played for two years, and Liz played a little bit in high school, but we're not like a soccer family or anything like that. And so we go out there, and we uh, she plays, and she like scores like three goals in her first game. And we're like, oh, she's good. Like, she's really good. And so what I started doing, because I lived in Alabama at the time, and it, you, as you might think, Alabama's not this hotbed for soccer. And so we, I was like, I need to learn this game. i got to learn how to do this. And so I started watching it. Every Saturday morning, I started getting up early because the games are in England, time changed. And so some Saturday mornings, I'll get up at like 4.30 in the morning to watch a soccer game. And so I started watching it, started getting into it. I found a team that I love. It's called Liverpool. I just love this team. And so Liverpool was like playing. It was in the 90s minute, which if the football, take it into football, so like let's say your team's down by two and it's fourth down and you got to get a first down to keep going, like you got to do that, right? So that was like the scenario, bottom of the ninth, you're down by one run, you got two men on base, like that's the scenario, like we're about to lose this game. We haven't won a championship since 1990. Like, my team needs to win a game. And so right in the 90th minute, the last minute of the game, my team scores. And I'm so excited sitting there in the Minneapolis airport. And Liz turns to me, looks me in the face and goes, oh my gosh, are you crying right now? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, Okay, maybe a little bit. You know, like I was like so excited that my team, my team was going to be able to, like we're on, on pace to win the championship, undefeated so far. Like that's my team. And as we've gone through this series on prayer, and as we started this series, we're talking about how, how we can now say our Father in heaven, right? We're now part of God's family. We, we talked about last week, your kingdom come, your will done on earth is in, he is in heaven. Now it's part, uh, we're part of God's team. We're part of what God is doing on earth. And notice when I started talking about Liverpool, I switched from saying they, them, and I started saying us. We were down. We were behind. We were doing this. How many of you guys have ever talked about your team like that? Like, we were behind. I've never met those people before in my life. I've never been to the stadium. I've never seen any of the game. Like, I don't know any of them, but it's definitely we. And God gives us an opportunity through his son Jesus to now be a part of we. It's no longer about what God is doing separately and distant from us and really far off. And, you know, some people believe that God created the universe, and, but that he stayed really, really far away. No, the Bible talks about how Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God's a part of us right now. And so God's with us in what we're doing. And so we, we see that, that now we're a part of what God 
is doing. And as we started this series called Near to the Throne, the, 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 the passage that we looked at was in Hebrews chapter 14, and this is kind of the, the theme passage, and then we're walking through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. But Hebrews 14, verse 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive Uh, mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And throughout the series, we've been looking through the template that Jesus gave us for prayer. We talked about how, how communication defines any relationship and prayer is our communication with God. And so we really need to look at how can we pray better prayers? How can we pray better? Jesus tells us how to pray in Matthew 6 verse 9. He says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver, deliver us from the evil one. In the first week, we said communication will define our relationships. And we said prayers is how we do this. And we, and we looked at the, at the first line of Jesus' prayer and he says, Our Father in heaven. We said that the Bible doesn't teach us that all people are children of God. No, it teaches us that we're all made in the image of God. But to be children of God, in John 1 verse 12, it says that that to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, this is Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God. Because now through Jesus, we're children of God. And we know that God wants a relationship with his children. And because of that, you and I can boldly approach. You're no longer an orphan. You're no longer cast out of the family. No, you're a part of what God is doing now. Last week we talked about Jesus' next line in in the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about living exegetically, which is a really big word, but it simply means this, that I don't get to define the Bible or God or even my worldview or anything like that. Instead, I let God define me. If there's going to be uh, 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 something that's molded around something else, how many of you guys ever played with Play-Doh when you were a little kid and you maybe had like a bowl and you like shaped the Play-Doh around the bowl, right? If I'm going to mold something around something, instead of taking the Bible and picking and choosing the verses that fit my opinion and fit my worldview and fit the way that I think uh, life should be lived, instead of doing that, what I have to do is I have to say, you know what, I'm going to be the one that's getting molded. I'm going to be the one that says, you know what, I don't understand some of this, I don't agree with some of this, but at the end of the day, I'm going to have to change my views, my opinions, my thing, to fit what the Bible says. And we need to live lives like that. We should let God's word shape us to fit to his will instead of trying to shape his word to fit our will. And when we live this way, we get to be a part of what God is doing, bringing his kingdom into a world that is lost and dying. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A simple way to look at these first two lines in the Lord's Prayer is this. Number one, I now get to be a part of God's family. I now am a part of that. I'm an active, and then the second thing is, I'm an active participant in what God is doing. And this leads us to Jesus' next line in Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us 
this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. At this point, Jesus transitions from focusing on God and his kingdom to our needs, which makes sense because he teaches us that, uh, about worry later in the chapter. Jesus understands your worries. He understands your fears. We read earlier in Hebrews 4 that Jesus is our high priest and he can sympathize with every weakness that we have. He, had, he, he knows how we're tempted and yet he didn't sin. He understands the feeling that you might not have enough and he also understands the feeling that you might not be enough. Have you ever had that feeling? That you might not be enough? When Liz and I first got married, I was 20, two weeks before I turned 21, and she was 22. And we were kids, man. And we made some mistakes, like some big mistakes. And one of the biggest mistakes we made is, uh, is early on had to do with our car insurance. And we got married again. We, we weren't normal, like, uh, we, didn't, we didn't know how to have, like, normal adult conversations because we were still, like, kids. And so uh, what I thought was that she was just going to keep paying on her car insurance um, until the term ended. And what she thought was that, uh, I was just going to, the day we got married, that I was just going to put her on my policy. Like that's what she thought, right? Makes sense, right? But we didn't talk about it. And so what happened is it just kind of fell through the cracks. And then she got in an accident. She got in an accident and we were on the hook at 21, because I had just turned 21, 21 and 22 for this guy's truck, for uh, um, an ambulance ride, for her car, for like all the other stuff that has to do with an accident. Like we were responsible for it just in and of ourselves. There was no insurance to cover it because we messed up. And I can remember during that season in my life, laying in the bed in our, in our apartment building at like two o'clock in the morning thinking like, I'm ne- like, I don't know how we're ever going to get out of this. Like, I don't know how we're going to get out of this hole. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how, how the, you know, God, you know, how this, and we were just struggling, struggling. And I remember thinking in my mind, I made the transition in my mind from we aren't going to have enough to I'm not going to be enough for this family. I don't know if you've ever been in that stage where like, I, that, like I'm not enough. I, I don't have enough. I don't have it in me. I don't have the, 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 the ability within me to be able to, to provide. And, and as Jesus is talking about this in, in this passage, and he's talking about our anxieties and our fears and our worries and all of these things, you need to understand that when you have these feelings that Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus has been there. Jesus didn't come into the world and live in the palace and the mansion. No, he, he was the son of a carpenter. They were broke. They were broke. He, he knew what life was like. He knew what was, life was like to, 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 to see need around him, to see hunger around him, to see fear around him, to see anxiety around him. And yet he teaches us this about anxiety in Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what you will drink? Nor about your, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't put seed in the ground and they don't harvest it, nor they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you 
anxious about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive or tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Gentiles are unbelievers. They seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Then he says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The order in which Jesus pray, prayer, the template that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6 makes so much sense now. Our Father in heaven. I'm now part of God's family. I'm a part of, 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 I'm a part of the family. It's, it's, that's who my, my new identity. And then he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now I'm an active participant in what God's doing. And then he says, Give us this day our daily bread. So when I pursue God's kingdom, he, he will take care of the rest. When I seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be added. When I put myself first, I'm responsible to fulfill my needs. But when I put God first, he takes care of me. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in proper time he may exalt you. We live in a culture that's full of self exaltation. If you want to be part of something that's counter to the culture, try being humble. Humility is one of the most countercultural traits that you can have. Just not thinking that I have to exalt myself. Not being the one to say, oh, you got a story, let me top that story. Not being the one at work that cuts everyone else down so that I can look good. Not being the one in your family who's always griping and complaining and, 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 and arguing with other people. No, when we humble ourselves, we give God the opportunity to exalt us. And, and it, Peter continues, humble yourselves. And then he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You can take all your hurts, your pains, your struggles, your doubts, your fears, your failures, your anxieties, and cast them onto Jesus because he cares for you. The key to having enough in your life is not improving yourself. It's not getting a new job or a new degree. It's admitting that you are not enough and that you need Jesus. Jesus becomes responsible for being enough. When you submit to him, when you cast your cares upon him, then he cares for you. But Jesus is not a means to an end. We don't use Jesus to get a blessing. If, if there was, the only reason I came to Jesus was because I think he's going to bless me, then, then even in coming to Jesus, I'm lacking the humility required for God to exalt me. We need to be about the Father's business, not because of the favor that it brings to us, but because it's our Father's business. 
It's not about God, God's blessing me. Okay, well, I want to be, about, be a part of what God's doing because God's going to bless me. And then once he blesses me, then I'll get what I want. Like, that's not the approach that we're doing. No, he's the father. He's the one that we're, we're, we're going after. He's the one that we be like. He's the one that we want to please. He's the one that we want to honor. We want to make his name great. And because we do that, when we do that, when we submit ourselves, when we humble ourselves, we give God the opportunity to exalt us out of whatever mess that we find ourselves in. And for so many of us, we, we, we are pursuing the wrong things. And then when we pursue the wrong things, we, we feel like there's this need and there's this expectation and it's unfulfilled and all these things. And, and, but God is just saying, look, if you can just focus on what I'm doing, you can just focus on what I'm doing. If you could just seek what I'm doing, if you could just be a part of what I'm doing with the kingdom, I am going to take care of everything that you need. We rejoice because of what God is doing. We rejoice because of what God is doing. We rejoice because we're a part of his team. We're a part of what he is doing. Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Again, putting God first, putting his will first. It's all about him. And then he says this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that's just asking with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we talk about give us this day our daily bread and God supplying our needs, we're not coming from a standpoint of an outsider begging. You're not outside of the gates of heaven just begging God for scraps. You're not outside the, the, the restaurant just waiting for, for God's children to, to, to just, you know, take care of you and, and throw stuff out so you can dig it out of the trash. No, no, no. You're a part of what he's doing. You're inside the family. Through Jesus, you're an insider. God has made you an insider. You're part of the team. You're a part of your, the family. You're a part of what God's doing. And so because of that, you can boldly approach God and say, God, this is what I need today. This is what I need today. This is what I need. This is my needs. This is what I'm facing, God. And, and sometimes he'll answer it. Sometimes he won't answer it because you know what? He's in control. He knows what you need more than you do. And so many of us, we think, well, if I could only win the lottery or if I could only get that job or if I could only do this thing, and we think that we think that we know what we need, but no, really what happens is God knows what we need and he's always going to be on time in supplying it. We're also not about the, uh, the accumulation of stuff. Consumerism is not our goal. The goal is and will always be Jesus his will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added. It's all about God. So when we say, give us this day our daily bread, we're simply asking God, give me what I need to get through today. Give me what I need to get through today. It's not about, you know, I, I want the mansion on the hill. 
or I want that new truck or I want that new thing. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff. But what's wrong is when stuff has you. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. But the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is just simply saying, God, give me what I need to get through today. This could be practical like physical bread or it could be a metaphor, something spiritual like grace. Give me the grace I need to get through today. Give me the hope I need to get through today. Give me the love. Give me the peace I need to get through today. Because when we acknowledge that, when we say our Father in heaven, when we acknowledge that we're part of his family, when we acknowledge his kingdom needs to come to earth like it is in heaven, we acknowledge these things. We're saying that we want to be a part of God's family. We want to be a part of what God is doing. But we're also saying that he is the one who is going to supply us. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me what I need to get through today. Jesus, who is God, is telling us that we can ask God for our needs and he'll do it. And because we're asking every day, daily bread shows us that God knows what we're going to need before we need it. He's faithful to provide for us. You don't know what you need tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow's going to need. Jesus, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got problems for itself. Just worry about what's happening today. And for so many of us, we go through life and we go through anxiety and we go through fear about what can happen tomorrow. But the promise here is that Jesus will give you daily bread. He will give you what you need for today. You're not going to be in over your head. You're not going to be where you're starving. You're not going to be without the food that you need. You're not going to be waiting for the next thing because God is going to supply what you need when you need it. So don't worry about what's happening tomorrow. Just focus on Jesus today. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. God, I want to be, I want to be a part of, of, of your will on earth. God, I want to be a part of seeing people saved and changed. God, I want to be a part of seeing my neighbor who's uh, far from you come to know you. God, I want to be a part of, of seeing uh, kids who are, who are uh, abandoned and whose parents have turned their back on them or, or whose parents are too busy and self-absorbed in their own lives to think about what's happening at home. I want to be a part of ministering to those families and those coworkers and those people around me. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. And when you think like that, God is going to be faithful with daily bread. If you're in over your head today, God has daily bread for you.